It is July 18th, 2017, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we jump into this episode, I do have a couple of announcements. The first of which is that I have launched my astrophotography post-processing course over on my website at nickpagephotography.com. If you're into astrophotography and you want to get better at post-processing astrophotography, you might be interested in that video. I talk about things like dodging and burning using luminosity masks using luminosity mass to make the Milky Way really pop and stand out from the shot. And we also post-process one of those Milky Way panorama shots uh, that I absolutely love to do. So if, you, if you're interested in that, you can go check that out at nickpagephotography.com. Also, the next announcement is this week I'm going to be launching my Palouse tours. So if you're interested in photographing the Palouse, which is where I live, uh, you can also find information about that over at nickpagephotography.com. Next couple episodes are going to have some fun stuff coming up. I'm going to be sitting down and talking with Ryan Dyer tomorrow, and that should be a good episode. And then also next, early next week, I'm going to go hang out with Rick Salmon at his Oregon Coast workshop, and then I'm going to be interviewing him for this show. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm going to go out and shoot with his group as well. So cool stuff coming up on the next couple episodes. Uh, Sorry, I was a little bit late getting this one out. But anyways, we're going to jump into this week's episode, which is all about astrophotography. Astrophotography is one of my favorite types of landscape photography. There's just something about taking that shot and then looking at the back of your LCD screen. It's one of the rare situations where your camera can see what your eyes just can't. You can get so much more definition and detail in things like the Milky Way than your eyes are able to catch because our cameras have the benefit of shooting on a tripod and doing long exposures. Photographing the night sky has not always been possible. Back in the film days, there was no way that you could shoot at ISO 8000 for 25 seconds and have it not just be complete garbage. Um, Digital has really opened the door to photographing the night sky. Camera sensors are getting better. Photographing the night sky is getting more and more accessible for people that are on a bit of a budget. So in this episode, I'm going to give you my tips for when you're out and actually photographing the Milky Way. And I'm also going to give you some tips for post-processing the Milky Way, as well as planning for that Milky Way shoot. So this comes on the heels of launching a couple of YouTube videos about astrophotography. First one, I talk a lot about the planning stage. Second one, it's kind of a behind the scenes out shooting the Milky Way. The most important stage of photographing the Milky Way and any astrophotography shoot is the planning stage. There's a lot of things that have to come together to make a successful astrophotography shoot. For one, you can't have clouds. (laughs) Clouds are not very good for photographing the Milky Way or the night sky. Uh, Secondly, you have to have a nice dark sky. There's two things that can ruin a dark sky for you. The first is light pollution. If you're close to a city and you have to be pointing your camera in the direction of that city. It just means that you're going to have a whole bunch of really yucky yellow in your shot. And it's going to really, really be a nightmare to deal with. The second thing that can ruin a nice dark sky is the moon. So you need to have the moon either on the opposite side of the earth as you, 
meaning well below the horizon of the sky. And you need to have a new moon or, you know, a fairly, a fairly small moon. If you're dealing with a, you know, 25% moon and it's sets, you know, several hours before you're going out and shooting, you're going to be fine. If you have, you know, a 90% moon and it's only set for a half hour, you're not going to have a very dark sky. You're, what you're going to end up with is a very blue, very bright sky. When you shoot at those high ISOs and long shutter speeds, light pollution coming from the moon just illuminates the sky like crazy. And you're not going to get that nice contrast that you're looking for in between the stars. So you need dark skies, you need clear skies, and you also need to know which direction you're going to be pointing your camera. One of the apps that I really like for just being able to track the night sky from a computer is called Stellarium. It's a free program. I know it's available on PC. I'm assuming that it's available on Mac as well. But it's a really nice program where you can check the day and check the time and see exactly the position of the stars. You can play it and fast forward and see how the stars are moving across the sky. It even tracks things like the space station, point of origins for when you're having a big meteor shower. That way you know which direction you need to point your camera in order to photograph those things. So Stellarium is a really, really useful tool and it's excellent for the desktop. The mobile version is not really quite as useful, but the desktop version is excellent. I love using it to plan my astrophotography shoots. So the next thing to keep in mind is the time of night you're going out to do it and the time of season. So in the very early spring, the Milky Way in the Northern Hemisphere is just coming above the horizon. I'm going to keep saying Northern Hemisphere because I don't exactly know or understand what happens in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm kind of a Northern Hemisphere guy. So if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, this will be useful. If you live in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm probably just babbling nonsense. But um, in the Northern Hemisphere, the galactic core of the Milky Way. It doesn't start coming above the horizon until really late in the evening. We're talking like three or four o'clock. But as the summer progresses on, that Milky Way starts to come above the horizon earlier and earlier in the night. And then towards the end of summer, the Milky Way is well above the horizon by the time nightfall happens. And then it starts to fall below the horizon. So what happens is in the wintertime, and the galactic core doesn't actually come above the horizon at night. In order to photograph the Milky Way and the galactic core of the Milky Way, which is really kind of the coolest part is the part with all the detail and all the gases and stuff. In order to photograph that, it needs to be between late spring and early fall. So between the moon phases, the weather and the time of year, there's really a limited number of times you can go out and photograph the Milky Way. So what I like to do is if I'm really, really into astrophotography and I'm really itching to do it, I will search ahead of time and I'll mark all of the moon cycles that will be favorable for photographing the Milky Way. That way I know which weeks or weekends or whatever, which days are going to be best for photographing the Milky Way throughout the year. That way, as that time comes, it gives me an alert on my calendar and then I can look at the weather and be like, oh, well, you know, there is no clouds in the sky, so the skies are going to suck, but it's going to be great for Milky Way photography. So that helps me actually get out and shoot. So like any other type of landscape, astrophotography is not just all about the sky. In the beginning of our photographic careers, when we go out or just the casual person with a cell phone, they see a pretty sunset, they hold their phone up, they snap a picture. Granted, they have this beautiful photograph of the sky, but the reason that that photo is lame is because there's no, there's nothing else going on in the photo. It's just a sky. 
The same is true for shooting stars. You have to have some kind of foreground interest to really make that photo work. Composition is still important when it comes to astrophotography. Composition is also really difficult to nail down at night when you can't see what you're doing. So another important thing is to get out there early well before the sun goes down so you can scout out those compositions and you know where you're going to shoot and you know how you get there and what holes to not fall into and what rocks to not step on and break your ankle in the dark. Little things like that really help to make your shoot successful and a little bit less dangerous and scary. It's better to go check it out during the daytime, go take a nap and then go back at night so you know exactly where you're going to go and then you're going to end up with a better composition because of it. All right, so we're out. We have our composition nailed down. We got our tripod set up. We got our camera. Okay, so now there's some choices to be made like, okay, what lens am I going to shoot this with? So the type of lens that you're generally looking for and when I say astrophotography, I'm really talking about landscapes with a night sky above it. It's not astrophotography where we're zooming way in in some interesting galaxy far, far away where it is, you know, it's not, we're not photographing through a telescope. Um, what I'm talking about in this episode is just a landscape with a night sky above it. So generally speaking, the types of lenses that you want to use are going to be both wide and fast. The reason that people love wide angle lenses for nightscapes and astrophotography is because the shorter that focal length is, you know, the smaller that number is, the wider you're shooting, the longer you get to keep your shutter open. So there's something called the 500 rule. And basically that means that you take 500 and you divide it by your focal length. And that's how long your shutter speed can be before you start getting star trails or blurry stars. You know, that's just a kind of a general rule of thumb. It's not a hard rule by any means. So, you know, if I'm shooting with a 16 millimeter lens, that means that I can use generally speaking around 30 seconds. But if I'm shooting with a 24 millimeter lens, that means I can only keep my shutter open for 20 seconds. And if I'm shooting, you know, with a really long focal length, I, it just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So that's not a good thing when we're dealing with these really dark night skies because we need all of the light we can get, all that light gathering that we can get. So wide is good and so is fast because those wide apertures, those wide open apertures are going to let in a whole lot more light and it's going to allow us to use slightly lower ISOs and get slightly cleaner images. All of that's going to help. So wide and fast are the types of lenses you're going to want to use. Really popular for astrophotography are, you know, the Nikon 14 to 24 f 2.8, the Canon 16 to 35 f 2.8. Um, other really popular lenses are like Rokinon 24 millimeter f 1.4, Sigma 20 millimeter f 1.4. What I'm really excited about is Sigma is going to be releasing a, what is it, a 14 millimeter f 1.8, I believe. That's going to be amazing for astrophotography. But generally speaking, you want wide and you want fast. Also, full frame cameras definitely have a leg up when it comes to astrophotography because they generally handle those high ISOs a whole lot better and a whole lot cleaner than a crop sensor. 
And keeping in mind the whole 500 rule thing, if you're shooting a crop sensor, that means that you have to factor that crop factor into the 500 rules. So if you're shooting with a 16 millimeter lens, that actually kind of becomes more like a 22 millimeter or something, which means that you don't get to use quite as long of a shutter speed on a crop sensor as you would a full frame camera. So full frame just all around has a leg up when it comes to astrophotography. Okay, so you've got your gear picked out. Now the next hardest thing is going to be getting focused, <laughs> focusing in the dark, focusing in, in, at night when there's, it's just pitch black outside is very difficult. So one of my favorite things that I like to tell people when they're going to photograph astrophotography is before it, the sun goes down, before it gets dark, take out the lens and the camera that you're going to be using that night and focus on something, autofocus on something at infinity and just look down at your at the top of your lens and look at your little focus meter and see where that's falling. You know, do it several times. Make sure that you're focusing at something to add infinity and remember that spot. And then when you go out to shoot astrophotography, just turn it right to that spot, throw it in manual focus so it doesn't try to hunt for focus when you go to hit that shutter button. And you should be good. You should be pretty close. So that's that's option A. Now the next way, option B, is to shoot in live view. You move your little cursor, your little focusing square in live view around to the very brightest star you can find in the night sky. Digitally magnify that as much as you can in live view, and then you manually focus your lens until you make that star the smallest point that you can possibly make it. At that point, you're as in focus as you can get. The next thing you want to do is to switch, take the autofocus switch and move it over into manual focus. That way it's not going to hunt for focus the first time you go to take a photo. That method works if you have a decent live view setup. You know, some camera, not all cameras are created equal in that way. Some just can't magnify or they can't amplify the light that is coming in enough to really be able to do it very well. You know, in that case, you either have to go to option A or option C, which should pretty much be avoided, but you just kind of do it if you have to just look down at your focusing ring and put it to infinity. And the reason that that doesn't always work is because that infinity mark is not always accurate on a lens because with weather and moisture and other elements in the air, the, the point that the lens focuses to add infinity at actually changes. It varies a little bit. Option A is probably best. Option B is good if you're confident in live view. Option C if you can't get the other two to work. So what kind of settings are we going to use? Typically, I like to start off at ISO 5000 or even 6400. And then I will do that on my 16 millimeter lens at for 25 seconds at f2.8. And typically that gives me a really good starting point for the exposure for my sky. Now the problem comes in when I have a really dark foreground. When you have a really super dark foreground and there's just zero ambient light hitting it, a lot of times you still don't have information in your shadows at those settings. One trick, one workaround for that is to do your night, to do your sky frame at 25 seconds, ISO 6400 f2.8, get that done. And then you switch over into bulb mode. You can lower your ISO a bit and then do a nice long exposure. You know, two and a half minutes tends to be kind of a sweet spot where if you do a nice long exposure, it gives much more time for all of that light to soak into your frame. And granted, you're going to get some hot pixels, but you're also going to get a whole lot more information in your shadows. And then you can blend those two shots together in Photoshop and you can end up with a much cleaner foreground with a whole lot more information and then a nice contrasty sky where we have 
nice sharp stars because remember we can't go very long with our shutter speed or else we're going to get blurry stars another thing that you can do is just light paint your foreground if you have interesting elements in your in your shot you know a tree or you know an arch uh, you can just softly illuminate those things with either the light on your cell phone or a flashlight something like that it's just that little bit of glow from whatever light source you have is going to add a whole lot more information to your foreground the difficult part is making that look natural. The thing that makes it look unnatural is often the angle that you choose to do it in. So if you're standing behind your camera and light painting your foreground, it's just going to look like a flash picture. It's going to look like the flash went off on your camera. You definitely don't want to do that. You want to go off to one side and light paint from the side. Ideally, you do multiple shots, multiple photos of this and then blend it all together so you can illuminate your entire your entire landscape. One of my favorite new ways of doing this is actually to strap a light to the bottom of my drone and then fly my drone like 100 feet in the air and illuminate the entire scene from one single flashlight. And because you're illuminating it from an uh, from an angle coming down, it looks very much like moonlight. It works out really well. And then it's kind of cool because you get this moonlit scene with this nice contrasty sky that you just can't get in real life. But it's a very natural looking light direction. And I find that that works pretty well. Another really, really big tip is to never trust your LCD screen when you're photographing astrophotography. Your LCD screen at night is just going to lie to you because it's a backlit screen. And when you when it's completely pitch black outside and you're looking at a backlit screen, it just looks so much brighter than what it actually does. So many times in the beginning, photographers go out and they photograph this beautiful scene and they, they're so excited when they see the back of their, their camera and then they take it back, they import to Lightroom and holy cow, it's way darker than what they expected. Everybody goes through that in the, in the beginning. Things to combat that is first to never trust it and to always bring up your histogram and check your histogram. Your histogram is not going to lie to you about what's there. Second of all is to turn the brightness of your LCD screen down. Turn that screen all the way down when you're photographing at night. That way, you know, you're not blinded for one thing. And for two, it's not going to lie quite as much to you. But still, you, even even then, you don't want to trust your LCD, LCD screen. Always check your histogram. Okay, so a few things when you're post-processing images like this. Typically, the, the thing that is lacking in most astrophotography shots are just highlight contrast. Because we're shooting in RAW, we're, we get back a very flat image, a very lifeless image. And in order to really bring the sky back, you need to have nice contrast in that sky. One trap that you don't want to fall in that I see with a lot of photographers, they try to get that contrast through either the clarity slider or the dehaze slider, or just like taking the black slider and bringing it all the way down. You don't want to do those things because it's just, it doesn't look natural and it looks what I call crunchy. So try to avoid those sliders if at all possible. Get that contrast by only adding contrast to your highlights. So the way that you can do that is simply, you know, if you want to do it all inside of Lightroom, take a gradient filter and boost the whites and bring down the highlights and maybe decrease the exposure a little bit. Add that just to the sky portion of your frame and you're going to find that that adds just a whole lot of highlight contrast while not adding a bunch of contrast to your shadows where you're going to lose information. But the way that I personally edit is inside of Photoshop and that gives me complete control over what I'm doing to my sky as opposed to what I'm doing to my foreground so I can get all of that beautiful 
beautiful contrast in my sky, but leave all of that information in my foreground in a very kind of flat and natural looking way. That's really what makes Photoshop so powerful is the fact that you're able to do that, you know, and add completely different adjustments to one part of your image as you're doing to another part of your image. Editing in Photoshop and using layers in Photoshop to bring those two elements together really can make an image sing. Also, white balance is so key when it comes to astrophotography. As a, as a kind of a general starting point, I like to start at around 3,800 Kelvin or maybe 3,900 Kelvin, probably around 15 on the tint slider. I'm talking Lightroom settings, of course. Typically, those settings are going to give me just enough blue tones in the dark part of my sky but still leave some of those warm tones that happen inside the Milky Way. Because what you're looking for is that happy medium where, you know, you're getting the cool tones in the majority of your sky, but you're not going so cool that you're losing those warm tones in the Milky Way. That color contrast you want to maintain because that's the natural balance between between those tones. So don't go too warm. Don't go too cool. Starting around in that 3800 Kelvin and I think you're going to have a lot of luck. Also, don't go so crazy with your tint slider that you make your Milky Way purple because it's not purple. (laughs) It's it's, like I said, it's kind of that coppery color. So be careful with your tint slider. You definitely don't want to have a whole bunch of greens present in your sky, but you don't want to go so far as to make your Milky Way purple either. All right, guys, thank you so much. That pretty much does it for my astrophotography tips. When you're out shooting, make sure that you're not, you know, blinding yourself with flashlights and headlamps and stuff. Oftentimes when you're out there, you can just operate off of ambient light alone. Let your eyes adjust and you're going to have a much better time. Also, remember to scout your location well before you're shooting. Remember that composition matters and remember to find that infinity focus, whether you're doing it before you shoot or you go out there and you find it yourself in live view. Thank you guys so much. Remember that you can follow me if you don't already on Instagram or on Facebook. Just do a search for Nick Page Photography and you can always find my website and everything that I have over there at nickpagephotography.com. Thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week. Bye.